everyone, and welcome to the all-new Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast. A little off-season break for me, but I'm coming back big. Like, this is big. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to top this for season three of the podcast, because with me is former NHL player, member of the 1994 Stanley Cup champion New York Rangers, Sportsnet's top NHL insider, host of the Real Kipper at Noon show by Line Movement, entrepreneur of Little Buddha Cocktail Company, and author of the new book, Undrafted with Perry Lefko by Simon and Schuster, Nick Kiprios. How are you, buddy? Um, I'm a lot better after that, uh, that opening. Uh, is that really me? All those things that you said, uh, I, I listen, I'm going to pump your tires as much as I can, brother. <laughs> I owe you a debt of gratitude for that 1994 championship. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. And it's wonderful. I know we, you know, it's been, uh, over a year now since our 25th, uh, reunion party, uh, in New York, but, uh, Ultimately, even '94 feels like yesterday when I when I think about it, or or I wrote about it uh, in my book, which was a great experience. Anthony, I, I can't wait to talk about the book, but your story is inspiring. Um, I I know I I got to tell you, Nick, I've probably digested more Nick Kiprios in the last <laughs> week of my life than I did when you were when you were playing for the Rangers. I have immersed myself in your life. Uh, I, I'm getting through the book, right? It's a, it's a great read. Uh, I've done some of the reviews. I'm, I'm in the early chapters because I want to focus on your story because every great story starts with a beginning. Uh, your beginning is, and I can relate to it because I'm a first generation American. My parents are Italian. They, were, they came over from the old country. Yeah. You're a first generation you know, Canadian, right? Uh, parents coming over from Greece. Uh, our relationships and things like that are very important to us and family, uh, the way I see it, but let's just start with, you know, your support. You're, you're an undrafted player. Uh, I read the book. I found it very captivating how you never seem to, no matter what, you know, get down. It almost was every kind of setback was motivation for you. And I think that's important for anybody who's trying to do something or trying to accomplish a goal. But there's just one in particular story, which I just, I connected with and I laughed. You're, you're, you're not drafted. You get a phone call from Bobby Clark. You think someone's messing with you. Yes. He's saying, we want you to come to camp. Right? So now you're going to Philadelphia and you look at your dad and you say, dad, they want me to go to Philadelphia. And your father goes full, my big fat Greek way and yes, breaks down the word Philadelphia. Please yeah. just give me that story. Well, um, I didn't even have an agent. So that was my first uh, opportunity to seek <laughs> advice, counsel. And it was my father. And, you know, you talk about first generation and ultimately their story. Uh, has to go first because th- there is no my story without their story. So the book's really about opportunity, Anthony. That's all. Just opportunity. And that's the common thread from generation to generation, including my dad's. And he all always 
talked about, uh, you know, just wanting an opportunity and leaving Greece to try to seek out a, a better life, better opportunity, and to do it without his handout. He didn't want any favors. He didn't want charity. He just wanted an opportunity. So full circle, I'm, I'm in the kitchen. I get a call from Bob Clark. It takes me a while to believe that it's really him. I wasn't drafted. My first time uh, eligible for the draft, uh, I never got picked up. I think my sister's messing with me. And, and finally, when I realize it is Bob Clark, I, I look over to my dad. And true to the way he is, it's, it was about the opportunity. And don't pass on the opportunity. If someone is reaching out and saying that you have potential and we believe in you enough to bring you to training camp, then my father's advice was take the opportunity that's given to you, much like Canada gave him uh, when he arrived from Greece. Yeah, I, I can completely relate to that. Uh, that's basically my, my parents, same story, no education, really. I think my father finished second grade in Italy before he came over to this country when he was 14, basically, and just lived on his own after his father left in a year. I mean, I just can't even imagine that kind of a life. But it is impressive that that fortitude and that, you know, that willingness to never give up. And I, I, I think it means something and passes the kids obviously passed through you. Uh, I think the word he used, he, you wrote in the book, he said a word and it's, you know, it's the word go. And I think that probably defines a lot about you and your career. You're just go. Um, and just to go back, I mean, in the OHL, I was looking at your numbers and I'm like, is that Nick Kiprios? Yeah. 60 some odd goals? Yeah. <laughs> Who, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I remember Nick Kiprios, <laughs> but you obviously write that at some point, you you realized that you had to take a little bit different path to make it into the NHL. I mean, when was that defining moment? I mean, that's that's a big transition. Here you are, you're scoring goals, you're lighting up the OHL, and then you have to come to that recognition like, you know what? I may have to play this differently. And then you go that route of being, you know, quote unquote, an enforcer. Yeah. Tell it me. It didn't about. take long, Anthony, to be honest with you. I knew that I didn't have I didn't have um, the patience that teams would have for, say, a first rounder. You know, when a few when a first rounder flops, it's after ample opportunity to to make it because egos are on the line, jobs are on the line, scouts, um, all of that has to come into play, and they don't want to look bad. They don't want to look like they made a mistake. They don't want to look like uh, uh, the organization failed on a on a very important part of their future. So they get more opportunities than a guy that got invited to training camp. So I knew the way I played junior hockey as well. And, you know, besides all those goals, I, I, I played a pretty physical game, um, a power forward, say what you will in junior hockey, where I could score, you know, Kevin Stevens was a prime example of a guy that could score 50 goals, but you don't really want to mess with him either. And he can hurt you. Uh, on a four check because he was such a big, strong guy. So I had that in my game and I knew that if I wasn't going to be able to impress people with the same scoring touch that I had in junior, then I was going to have to find a different way to contribute to a team. And, uh, that was it. And I knew I could hit and I knew on occasion I could fight. And, uh, as I said in the book, when I was with the Washington Capitals, Brian Murray acknowledged that right away. And the moment he gave me the stamp of approval to say, hey, Nick, 
that fight you had at Madison Square Garden against Chris King, that was great. We need more of that. That really is something that's lacking on our team. I identified it right away and 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 made made the switch basically uh, to make sure that uh, I could stay in the lineup and I could still earn a living and fulfill my dream of being a National Hockey League player. And you built some relationships in the Capitals organization too, if I'm correct. One of one that's been, uh, I think he wrote the forward to your book, and wasn't he a coach? Yes. Uh, in the minor that, league, Doug system? McLean. That Doug McLean, right? Uh, I I think that's that's great, and I think you played a role in his life. Is like you paid it forward and got him a job at Sportsnet. Yeah, it it, it really uh, it, it is a nice story in terms of you know how we first kind of got together in Washington and then spent some time in in Baltimore because he had gone down to coach the rest of the season after they made a coaching change, brother for brother, Terry Murray replacing Brian Murray, and I had gone down there. I'd lost my confidence a little bit, and he was incredible with me and some of the younger players and he got me back into the stanley cup playoffs in 89 we were able to go to the conference final for the first time in washington capital history uh which was a a monumental uh um you know milestone for that organization and then it all came crashing uh down with uh, an after party that led to uh some tough times um with some of my teammates uh being charged and 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 put on the uh, on the front page of the Washington Post, and I I speak of that in the book, you know, because you gotta you gotta take the good with the the bad at times, and and find a way to get through it. And I was able to do that, and eventually get myself um, to a, a place like Hartford, where I I was I was able to get seventeen goals, and that led to a Stanley Cup. And like you said in the book, the common theme is just finding a way to to battle some adversity. It's two steps back for maybe three forward, Anthony. I hear you. Now, 1989 playoffs. I am a Ranger fan, so I kind of remember it. Uh, I think I have some mental blocks, but there's two words that come every time I think, think, is it John Druce? Druce on the loose. Oh my God. What was he eating? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And uh, John, you know, he's from the Ontario Hockey League, and, mm-hmm. and we were all the same ages. Basically, we played against each other. Uh, he was with Peterborough. I was with North Bay. I always knew him as a good hockey player, but a, a steady up-and-down winger. He was never a 50- or 60-goal scorer in junior, um, but he had a nice touch, and he was a very nice skater, and it just seemed for uh, a short period of time the the hockey gods looked down to him and struck him a, a bolt and it was one of the greatest playoff uh, performances you know in history in terms of you know what he was able to do for us um yeah. you know a goal a game and uh lit up the new york rangers and helped us uh get to a, a place the organization has never done and, and in many ways that was our you know mini stanley cup championship in washington because you know david poyle did had failed so many times to advance. Uh, it was a big deal getting to the final four uh, with the Washington Capitals in 89. Every organization has to take those steps, baby steps. Eventually, the, the Capitals did realize their Stanley Cup goals. It helped to have a guy named Alex Ovechkin, no doubt. But let's let's talk about the Whalers just for a minute. First off, I'm I'm old school, man. I mean, I grew up. I'm a, really I'm a hockey kid of the eight, of the late '80s and '90s, and I mean, I love the Whalers. Yeah, 
I mean, <laughs> I was looking at your stats. Bro, how do you how do you accumulate 325 yeah. penalty minutes in one season? <laughs> what did yeah. you do? Well, yeah, I think it's Brian Burke's fault. He had become the <laughs> general manager there for the first time uh, in his career. And he had this award uh, called the Heavy Hitter Award. And he basically told us at the beginning of the season, whoever accumulates uh, the most hits in a game and gets um, awarded the Heavy Hitter of the Game Award um, will eventually go on to, to win a brand new truck at the end of the year if you have more Heavy Hitter Awards than anyone else on the team. And I'm like, holy shit, man. I can win a truck just for hitting guys? And I just went out there. And of course, when you, when you hit everything that moves, you know, it draws attention from all the tough guys on the other team. And I got to be honest, Anthony, I had no business fighting some of these guys, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I gave up 30, 40 pounds to these guys. And I knew eventually it might catch up to me. But I really wanted a truck. And I wanted to give it to my dad. That's so, awesome. Um, I, I just stayed true to every game that season and it, it ended up costing me. I pulled my abdominal muscles and I missed the last, I think seven or eight games and I wanted to get 20 goals so badly. There was only a handful of guys in history, including my coach at the time, Paul Holmgren, who had scored more than 20 goals and had over 300 penalty minutes and Bob Probert and you know, just just a few guys who have ever done it. I think Al Secord, and I I so desperately wanted to be a twenty goal scorer in three hundred penalty minutes, but uh, I, I was three goals shy, and and that injury I think shut me down, uh, solidified that I wouldn't be a part of that small group. But it was fun trying. Absolutely, sure. Sounds like you had a lot of fun. I got to say though, with that many hits, I could only imagine what the spreadsheet samurai of the hockey analytics community would have did with your Corsi for running around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You would have had those, like if Twitter was around, they would have put charts of you like, oh, this guy's terrible. <laughs> Listen, Anthony, I don't know what the charts would have said, but if I had a season like that in the National Hockey League in 2020, I would have made a lot more than half a million bucks a year. I could tell you that. And, I, I uh, believe it. Like, I think about it. that for a second. When you see, you know, um, you know, Anderson, Josh Anderson, you get traded to Washington or uh, uh, from Columbus to Montreal, and he's, uh, you know, at five and a half million bucks. I mean, <laughs> it would have been interesting. My, my wife and I always kind of look at it and go, hey, what do you think that, that, that season in Hartford would have been worth today? And I'm like, don't ask, honey, don't ask. <laughs> do, do you think, that season in Hartford caught the eye of Mike Keenan and Neil Smith to bring you in because you were a pivotal part of, a, of that season because it's an instrumental trade because it's a three-way deal with the Blackhawks that also brings in Steve Larmer. Yeah, that was fun to be a part of uh, something with Steve Larmer. And I remember meeting him for the first time. I think we met in, in Rye um, at the bar. And I knew of Steve Larmer as a superstar, as one of the best Chicago Blackhawks and this reliable player and Team Canada's and all of that. And I was just, I was really nervous to meet him, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but salt of the earth guy, great teammate, loved spending time with him, being part of uh, Ranger history with him, with that trade. Uh, 
at the time they had given up Chris King and Ty Domi to Winnipeg for Ed mm-hmm. Olchuk. So maybe they thought about maybe just a, a little bit more uh, toughness. We had toughness already. There's no question with uh, Joey Kosher already there. Jay Wells, Bookaboom had sat out at that point. He had a contract dispute. He didn't start, I think, for the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Hartman. We, we had some good guys, but you know, at that time, Anthony, the Rangers could buy as much as they want. And they had a lot of insurance there. They had a million dollar backup goalie in Glenn Healy, who was a star with the New York Islanders. In the season before. Doug, Doug Lidster. So we had, we had, uh, we had some good, good players who came from uh, bigger prominent roles, but you know, for a chance to win a Stanley Cup in New York City, and we know how hard that is with just one in o- over 80, you know, almost 85 years. One since World War II. <laughs> right? So, you know, we knew we knew if we kind of checked our egos at the door and just said, for, for one season, let's, let's see how this plays out. Maybe we can be part of something really great. And we were. So um, I enjoyed every second of it. And the beauty of winning a Stanley Cup, Anthony, it doesn't ask you how many goals you scored or how many games you played. It just wants your name. And last time I checked, Kiprios was still on the Stanley Cup. That's got to be special. Your parents say anything about seeing that and seeing your name on the cup? Oh, yeah. We had a blast with it and bringing it home, taking it to Greek town, having a, a party, a celebration with your family and friends. That's what it's all about. And I know at times Tampa Bay got a lot of heat for for celebrating in a pandemic and people questioned it, but that, that cup doesn't work, Anthony, without people that loved you, supported you. Um, and, and that includes all the fans and they were caught really, uh, in a, in a tough spot. You know, it's, it's your lifelong dream to not only win it, but to celebrate it in the proper manner. And they still got cheated out, you know, because of the pandemic, but mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, it's all about, the loved ones around you that that make that cup so special. I uh, it, beautifully said. It's the, I still get emotional thinking about it because it was such a special. You know, being a fan is obviously you're you're living it, but you know, you as a fan, you, you live and die with the team sometimes. And man, I li- You know, I was working on Long Island, yeah. and man, Islander fans just every chance they get telling 1940 in my face. Yeah. It it, it you know, can be something. It is. And, and, you know, I hope I, I was able to do that in, in my book, uh, undrafted. So, uh, you know, just, just to listen, not to take anything away from winning a championship in Tampa Bay or Carolina. Uh, but this is New York city, man. This is the biggest stage in the world and to have that cup there and, you know, for, for all those experiences. And I talk about them in my book, you know, from, you know, uh, Mark Messier and, and Brian going to, you know, Letterman to um, taking it to the Hamptons and the Beach House, all, all of that stuff, the China Club, all of that is the just China Club. Oh, yeah. The legendary <laughs> China Club. I have a, a great, great chapter about taking it to the China Club and taking it to Yankee Stadium for the first pitch. <laughs> I was one of the and, schmucks uh, online at the China Club that had to grease the bouncer 20 bucks to get. Yeah, well, it was a lot more than that back then, Anthony. I can tell you that. <laughs> we wish it was 20 bucks, but not in 1994. Um, but, uh, and, and I talk about that in the book, too. 
That's fantastic. Our, our let, good buddy let, Johnny B. Let me let me just ask this question because again, I I I went out and I was like, let me pull out some of my old stuff. And I posted it on on social media. I wanted you to see it. I wanted yeah, you to it was see great. your old interviews. And I and I was like, I, I remember the locker room interview with Al. And, and there you are with the cup. And I'm you're just screaming. Like you are screaming. just, and honestly, what was so amazing is like when you watch, you know, players and that cup comes out, you look like such a kid. Like you were you were that kid. You ran up, Messier's getting the cup, and you're one of the first people right in front like i gotta get my hands on this thing i, I just kissed do, it that's what i did dude, yes you <laughs> it did. was still in his hands you're the was, first person to kiss it. it and it was still in his hands <laughs> when you got the cup and you're skating around the ice i'm like is he gonna throw that into the stands yeah i <laughs> felt that I, I honest that it, it felt like that um and when you saw that uh, uh now i could die in peace sign you feel it and you felt every person that came up to you on Fifth Avenue or every, every New York cop who's a diehard Ranger fan and just say, please, just once, just once I want to see it. Like you inherit that the moment you get traded to the New York Rangers and you feel it and you become a part of those failed teams and you weren't even there. But you, 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 you take it all in, you absorb it and... Um, you know, Adam Graves is another guy, Anthony, when you watch him and the passion that he shows, and he's a pretty calm, cool, collected, reserved guy. I also thought he, he, he looked like a big kid on, on Christmas morning when, when he got the cup. I, I'm going to just say this because, like I said, I'm, I'm quite a hockey fan. And you, your reaction was very similar to what Graves' reaction the first time he won the cup because he was literally the one of the first people when Messier picks it up, grabbing at the cup before he Messier yeah. even skates a couple of feet with it. He's got his hands on it already. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you really think about the thousands of players that have played in the National Hockey League from, you know, um, Mark Messier and and – uh, you know, uh, some of these players that, you know, got well over 1500 games to a guy that got over, you know, 10 or maybe just even one game. It's, it's, it's one thing to say that you're going to try to make the NHL, but it's another thing to say that I'm going to get my name on the Stanley cup. It just doesn't happen very often. And it's a very low percentage of players that play, you know, from one game to 1500 games to get their name on a Stanley Cup it's special it's circumstantial you know you got to you got to be in the right place at the right time you know sometimes certain players who have had great careers don't win and they're looked upon in a little less light because they didn't win and i i honestly i feel bad for those guys because uh timing's everything in life as we know it and True. you know i just happened to be on the right team. People wanted me at the right time. They wanted my qualities at the right time. And, and, it, and it all came together. So, you know, um, so fortunate to, to been on that team in any capacity to have been asked for any amount of my hockey, um, whether it was every day or, or as a black ace or, you know, playing in the first round against the Islanders and not playing again until game seven. That's like two months of the Stanley Cup final. Whatever the case is to say, I'll be ready if you need me. 
that that's what our Ranger ninety four team was really all about. Eve Ho, right? Eve Ho, all pulling on the same in the same direction. Yeah, well, you 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 literally you just got a great assist because you set me up for a slam dunk goal here because one of the topics I did want to talk about since you're talking about players who don't who didn't win the Stanley Cup and have brilliant careers, Mike Gartner is one of those people. He was on the team. I still, that's the, I mean, I appreciate everything Glenn Anderson did. He did score two uh, game-winning goals in the Stanley Cup Finals. But to me, Mike Gartner's speed probably would have made it easier to get past the Devils because he gave them fits. He broke the trap. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing up Gartner is because you also, in the book, you go into detail and you talk about coaches and some of the, the tactics and some of the bullying over the course of your career. Um, and there's been plenty of books written about 94 and about Mike Keenan in general. Okay. Hard ass. That's how he ran the team. Oh yeah. But Mike Keenan was one of his favorites to pick on. I mean, I think he would do things such as like, just call him into a room. I think I read something about looking at, he's looking at those alligator shoes and like, that was Eddie Olchuk. Oh, it was Eddie Olchuk. Yeah, that was Eddie, Eddie but he did something else. Oh no, Mike. no. He was hard on, on, on Mike. He wanted, oh, yeah. he can. wanted things out of his game that Mike never did his whole career and just wasn't that type of player. But you know, once, once certain coaches or general managers have a, a certain idea of you as a player, it's hard to change their minds. So it was inevitable that uh, Mike was going to get Mike Gartner uh, out of that room. And, you know, James Patrick, uh, Darren Turcott, those type of guys never stood a chance with Mike. And they're good hockey players. And they've had some you know, Hall of Fame career for Garts. Uh, James Patrick, an exceptional defenseman in his career, but just not the right makeup or fit uh, for Mike Keenan. And, and that's just the way it is. That, that's pretty common you know, in, in history, um, we know that, you know, coaches in the last few years, Anthony have been called out for some of their, uh, some of their means and ways to motivate. And, yep. you know, they got to look themselves in the mirror right now. And, uh, the things that coaches could get away with, you know, 20, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you're not getting away with today. So many ways, maybe it's evolved for the better. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where that comes out to play. But I knew at least when I went to the New York Rangers that when you get traded to a team with Mike Keenan, that's a heck of a lot um, easier on, on your mindset than it is if, if Mike Keenan um, is, is now named head coach and you're already on the team. So I knew when I got traded there, at least, you know, he would have had some sort of say in, in all of it. And uh, I was at least going to get a chance to win a Stanley Cup for the remainder of the year. Thank you. That, that, that's, that's important. And obviously, we'll see where this all goes. Uh, I do believe that, yeah, eventually it will come out for the better. Uh, but we're going to have uh, some rough road ahead. Speaking of rough roads, um, your playing career comes to an end. And I, 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 <laughs> it's hard to talk about because... I love fights. Who doesn't? I mean, as a kid growing up, man, you they was dropping the gloves. People were out of their seats. The Probert Domi battles at the garden with the heavyweight belt. I mean, these are all things that are part of the game and were exciting. But man, I just had a different feel after I saw yeah. what happened to you in a preseason game uh, at Madison Square Garden, if I'm correct, right? Absolutely. Uh, Ryan Vandenbush, 
in a place where you lifted the Stanley Cup, somehow your career comes to an end. That's a scary time. I mean, can you go through it a little bit? I mean, and what's your? I mean, how many concussions did you have? I I, I don't even know if you <laughs> keep count. Yeah, um, a big part of my book, and 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 uh, in many ways, just going back to revisit it, uh, and and putting pen to paper uh, was just another way I think I could put closure on it, Anthony. Um, so in many ways, I think the book helped me, you know, move on again from, from that, you know, ordeal that it's a traumatic experience for any hockey player, uh, but kind of is consistent on the way I kind of carried myself throughout. And that's every once in a while, putting it all on the line and, and hoping for the best. Uh, I was up against a pretty tough competitor in, in Ryan Van and Bush. And, uh, that's just the, the chance that you take every time you step on the ice or every time you drop the gloves with somebody that something like that could happen. So that's, that's me. That was me to, to, to say, Hey, you know, in many ways, Anthony, don't worry about the outcome, you know, just worry about the process, worry about, you know, getting there and, 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 hope for the best. And in this instance, it did not bold well for me. I made a tough decision to retire, but you know, when you look at the next 21 years of my life, I was, I was able to, uh, open up another door because that door shut. And again, um, for anyone that's out there that, you know, wants to hear a story about closed doors or or looking at, uh, you know, adversity and finding ways to turn a plus out of a minus, this, this book should, you know, be a good read for you because, you know, we all wish we were Connor McDavid's and, um, you know, uh, Sidney Crosby's where we're, we're just the best player on our team every year. And we're destined for Stanley cups and the hall of fames, but there's the rest of us who aren't and we got to find ways to open up doors when when others are shut and that uh, that 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 career ender at Madison Square Garden opened up doors for me that set me up for the next 21 years in broadcasting and it was a fantastic uh run as a broadcaster i loved every second of it it opened up opportunities that i never had before um you know gave me a chance to um uh, be a part of uh, a great hockey media that I'm proud to say that I, uh, I got great friends out of it and it led me to, uh, one of the greatest hockey panels in history in Vancouver with myself, James Duthie, Darren Pang, um, and Bob McKenzie and, uh, to sit there and, and broadcast every game out of the winter Olympics in 2010 and watching Sidney Crosby. Crosby scored the biggest goal since Paul Henderson's super uh, summit series goal in 72. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't happen without taking a few steps back. So that, that to me, I think is the, the biggest common thread in my book undrafted. Right. And that's who you are. And that's what you, you push forward, right? Yeah. One step back. You, you wouldn't keep you down. So the next thing is you become a top, you know, insider at Sportsnet, yeah. right? And you have a brilliant career, 
you're still going and it's getting even more brilliant as you're saying the shackles are off now. I've yeah. got real Kipper at noon. Nothing's stopping me. I'm going full force. Yeah. And and it's- I, honestly, it's inspirational for a guy like myself who's a, a, a small publication trying to grow and trust saying, you know what? Go and do it. Just don't stop yourself. Believe in you and do it. Well, without a doubt. And, you know, this whole digital world has gone to another level and it's probably sped up since the pandemic because everybody can do it from various locations, including their basement. And that's where I am right now. I've got My this office. studio <laughs> that, that uh, you, you're in your office. And I was able to uh, um, partner up with an online gaming company and, and we know where that's going. They were looking for hockey content, mm-hmm. uh, much better pace for me at, at this point in my life, Anthony, where I don't have to race downtown Toronto to get to a, um, a 10th floor, you know, multi-million dollar studio. Um, I, I can reach more people here, you know, in my basement. So that was kind of unique. And, uh, so we formed real Kipper at noon. It's on, uh, YouTube mm-hmm. and please subscribe if you get a chance. Um, we go daily uh, during the hockey season, and right now, off season, we've done a couple of great interviews. Please, if you get a chance, go watch the interview I did with Mike R- uh, Mike Richter and Mark Messier. Um, very awesome. proud of the, the, those interviews as well, and a lot of New York Ranger again stories about uh, their brilliance uh, over that time. And, yeah, but it's not uh, just them. I mean, you've had McKenzie. I mean, you. You, you're bringing in some heavy hitters on the show. You've had some great interviews. Yeah, and that's what Sportsnet did for me. It, 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 it enabled me to uh, you know, have a Rolodex of some of the top names in hockey, and um, I wanted to bring that to Real Kipper at noon in an in a easier format, more relaxed, you know, and at times, yeah, more authentic because we can do and say what we want, and we're not driven by the corporate dollar uh, sponsors, you know, partners in the NHL, all of that came into play when, when Sportsnet got the national package in Canada. Um, and that was fine. You know, I wanted to be a good teammate and, and, uh, and help make the the deal work. And I was able to do that for five years on hockey night in Canada, but now there's a new chapter and, uh, I still got enough juice and energy, uh, to take it on and, and do other things as well in my life besides writing a book. I know you've been uh, nice to mention a little Buddha cocktail company, uh, which my wife and I formed with some family friends. And uh, I, I really, Anthony, I really wanted to, to do something away from hockey. I had to prove to everybody more so to myself than anyone else that I, I, can, I can take that blueprint of, of what makes a championship team and I can apply it to you know, a, a drink. You know, mm-hmm. And I want to build a team. Uh, at Little Buddha Cocktail Company. What makes that, it unique? That makes it unique. What makes Little Buddha unique? Well, this is, you know, uh, the, these type of drinks have kind of taken over a little bit, you know, the, the, the traditional beer and wine. And it's a cocktail in a can. Did you, do you know what RTD stands for? No. Help me out here. R- RT, I didn't drink. even know. Ready to I, drink. I didn't know. Ready What's to that? drink. Is it ready, ready to, to drink? drink. <laughs> RTD, I'm learning something every day. Ready to drink. <laughs> so we we sat around one night and we 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 talked about these new drinks that are out there and what we liked and what we didn't like. And then we said, okay, if we were going to make one, what would be our wish list 
for for a drink. So we we took pen to paper and we said, okay, well, the first thing we want is all organic, right? No preservatives. It has to be as clean as we can get it. And we all agreed it would be organic. The other one was no sugar. No sugar. You know, sugars, some of these drinks have more sugar in it than, you know, you know, uh, a cola. So we said we wanted no sugar in it. The calories needed to be lower. We know that uh, we didn't want people with beer bellies. So under under 100 calories, ours has 90. Um, Gluten-free, keto-friendly. I didn't even know what keto-friendly meant, Anthony. And my kids are looking at me like I had three heads. That, and, it's one uh, of the new, it's a big diet fad, taking your it, body it is. ketosis. So we had all of that. Um, and the last thing we said is it had to taste great. It didn't, we don't want it diety. We don't want it to taste like uh aftertaste. You know, we didn't want any of that. So we we came up with a grilled pineapple and rosemary, and uh it's at four percent alcohol. So we lowered the alcohol. It's a little Buddha because we just think we, we need to be in a mindful uh time in our lives. Um where we're a little bit more sensitive, you know, towards one another. So we put this package together a little over uh, a year and we were able to start it here in Ontario and it sold exceptionally well. And we're, we're hoping that where we could be national across Canada uh, within, within the, the next year and then hopefully bringing it to New York and the United States very soon. I, I can't wait. Uh, it sounds, it sounds delicious. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like a healthy buzz, but everyone remember to drink responsibly. We got to yes. make sure we say that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. all right. As so get- listen, the, the bottom line is, um, at, at my age now, I, I want, uh, being away from that, that, that corporate, uh, day-to-day, um, push at Sportsnet. I'm allowed to now go out there and, and try different things. So, um, you know, little Buddha was a big part of that. All right. So we're going to kind of get to the wind up, wind down the show. There is, I would, I would be an abject failure if I didn't, if I, if I didn't ask one of the NHL's top insiders, some NHL questions, Sure. specifically, is there going to be a season coming up? Is January 1st legitimate? Um, there are reports coming out of the Ottawa Sun. A league executive says, yes, it's, we're going to have it. Jeff Ward was on record. Uh, I think TSN did an interview with Jeff Ward, Calgary Flames coach, saying, I'm preparing for the season to start until somebody tells me otherwise. It sure sounds like, even though they haven't been talking, maybe we're going to get a season. Is there an announcement soon? What do you, yeah, what do you I, got? I, I, don't think, I don't think they have any other choice but to play. And I think the owners will try to squeeze the players for more, and they'll um, they'll, they'll, they'll push the envelope, but I don't, I don't think they'll rip it open. So yes, I, I do believe it. Now, do I believe that it could happen still January 1st? No, no, I'm, I'm a skeptic on that date. Uh, I think in order for the, the owners to go this far now on the ask of, uh, renegotiating the terms, they're going to have to get something out of it. Possibly not the three hundred million that they hoped, but they will get something out of it, and and we will start. They can't, they can't afford to not start, Anthony. They can't afford for the NBA to be going before Christmas, and then shutting down. And ultimately, you know, Gary Bettman's in a in a tougher place than he, he probably has been in the last twenty five years. 
he signed a deal and he had to go back to the players and, and, and ask for a mulligan. You know, that's not an easy thing for Gary Bettman to do. So you know that there's 10 or 12 owners that have really pushed him probably to go in a direction that he didn't really want to. So I, I don't think that the owners are in a position to get everything they want out of the players now. But even if they get a little bit more, maybe they feel it's better than, than what they had before. But I, I agree, like many, that they have no choice but to play this season. Um, they could do catastrophic damage you know, to the brand by not playing on really what was already decided four months ago. It's right. one thing to have an open negotiation for a pending new CBA, but they have one already. It was signed, sealed, and delivered four months ago. For the owners to go back now does not look particularly well on, on their part to say they, they want to do over. And no. it's not worth, you know, your, your words doesn't mean anything and neither does your signature on, on paper, right? And you know, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, in this world that, you know, want to, who negotiate on good faith. And then once a deal is signed, a deal's a deal. They want to go back on that. That's not an easy thing for any of those guys to do. I'm not sure why they're doing it, to be quite honest with you, because, um, I, I wouldn't want to negotiate with anybody, you know, be it a bank, um, or, or someone coming into my house, um, when, when they renege on a deal, I, no, nobody likes that. No, no. Everything I've read and, you know, players aren't happy and escrow is like, we, we're not even talk about that. You know, like, I don't know what you're looking for, but final prediction. When do you think we'll hear something and you think, will we have the mid January start or we're looking at February? Yeah, I think they, they'll probably go in this, the last two weeks in January. Um, but you know, again, this game of chicken now could go on for a few weeks. So I think that, um, you know, in many ways, maybe the players want Christmas, you know, with their families. We'll have to wait and see, but you know, I, I don't anticipate, you know, a lot of people, including the league want to say that, uh, by the end of the month, we need to know what we're doing. I don't think that's the case. I think they could easily push it back to 48 games and, you know, the difference between 48 games and 60 isn't a whole heck of a lot mm-hmm. for the league and, and television. All the money's made in the two months in the playoffs. That's, that's, that's the, what, what everybody wants, including uh, the TV people. And if you shave off some games that you might owe NBC, no problem. Just tack them onto the new deal. That's it. So this has been... One hell of an experience for me. Uh, and I actually spoke with one of your colleagues not too long ago, John Shannon. He was a great interview. This is tops. This is this is good yeah. stuff. So John's before- a good man. John's yeah. a good man. And he's got some amazing uh, uh, stories covering uh, our game, you know, 30, 40 years now. Super classy guy. Give us the rundown. That's it. This is now full-blown Nick Kiprios giving us how you can see uh, and hear Real Kipper at noon, everything, yeah. break it down. Simon and Schuster, go for it. All right. So um, just want to say, first and foremost, please, um, a great stocking stuffer for New York Ranger fans is my book, Undrafted. A uh, lot, of, lot of great stories about that championship in 94. 
Um, it's uh, available at all your leading uh, bookstores, Indigo, Chapters, Amazon.com. It's easy to uh, order it and, and have it uh, delivered right to your front door. Um, also, uh, my, my new show, it's a daily show called Real Kipper at Noon. Um, I'm on lionmovement.com. Please give it a follow. Uh, also, subscribe on YouTube channel. Uh, great interviews there. And uh, once you subscribe, uh, you'll get updates on, on what we're doing uh, uh, daily on Real Kipper at Noon. And then, of course, Little Buddha. It's not available uh, outside of Ontario yet, but I'm working on it. But please give us a follow uh, on Twitter, Instagram. And uh, we may have some new surprises, new flavors, Anthony, coming. Nice. How about a peach tea um, delicious. coming soon? But all organic. It's a great uh, alternative to, to other uh, products that may carry more calories or have a lot more sugar. So thank you, Anthony, for this time and opportunity. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you rest of the way. Really appreciate uh, all the support you've given me um, and, and my book, Undrafted. Thank you so much. And fans, this podcast will be coming out soon. I'll be posting links to everything Nick Kiprios talked about on the website foreverblueshirts.com and at thedailygoalhorn.com. Nick, thanks again for uh, joining us and everyone have a great day. <laughs>